Hello and welcome to the Cloud Tweaks podcast. I'm your host, Steve Prentice. CloudTweaks.com provides cloud-based digital consulting services and maps the road for startups and businesses that want to implement a feasible model for success. Our podcast looks at trends and innovations in the industries of cloud, cloud security, the Internet of Things, and much more. On this episode, a rundown of the most successful smart cities in the world at this moment. Also, the vital importance of working with a security-as-a-service provider, the recent progress of Bitcoin and the blockchain, and from our roving reporter Jeremy, the omnipresent power of Twitter, and how trains are using artificial intelligence in surprising ways. This is April 2017. The intelligence war continues. Shortly after President Trump launched missiles into Syria, the fake news machine notched things up again, deploying hundreds of bot armies to distribute fake news, hoax, rumors, and mass confusion about who was backing who. Meanwhile, Edward Snowden released tweets suggesting that the NSA's digital arsenal had been hacked. And everyone, from government officials to famous talk show hosts, found themselves in hot water, largely due to the fact that no information seems safe anymore, and the skeletons in the closets seem to be coming out. This is one of the key reasons we spoke to the security company BitGlass, and that interview is coming up shortly. But first, what about smart cities? What are cities doing to build a better and hopefully more secure living and working environment for their citizens and companies? According to an article published by Forbes magazine reasonably recently in late 2015, the top five smart cities in the world are Barcelona, New York City, London, England, Nice in France, and Singapore. The reasons focus mainly on intelligent traffic management, environmental friendliness, open access to data and Wi-Fi, smart street lighting, and smart parking. Seoul, South Korea, and Reykjavik in Iceland have also started to make waves in this area, and on a countrywide scale, Estonia continues to make great strides. You can even get free Wi-Fi in the forests there. So much of the reason for the success of these places has to do with a wider scope on people's activities, especially where congestion of traffic and people has made it essential. But congestion alone is not the catalyst. There are many cities like Beijing, Toronto, and Los Angeles who could do with a lightening up of their traffic challenges too. So according to Jean Dornan Oliero, a principal consultant at Farpoint, in an essay that he wrote for the online magazine Telecoms Tech in August of 2016, the four key features of successful smart cities are connectivity between people and machines, maximizing efficiency, for example, using existing lampposts as 3G or 4G repeaters, and better coordinating trench digging to give simultaneous access to different utilities who would want to place cables down there. That's number one and number two. Furthermore, Mr. Olero adds that accurate record-keeping helps keep track of the infrastructure. And finally, fourthly, is the future-proofing mindset, which are key to building a successful intelligent city, not only for now, but into the future. But for the meantime, the companies that might already be in those cities or elsewhere have some immediate challenges to consider, and these focus on security. In an age where so many products are moving to X as a service and where employees are highly mobile online using their own devices, internal IT departments might want to or need to link up with an external security vendor to help share the responsibilities of keeping things safe. To learn more, I spoke by phone with Rich Campagna, Senior Vice President of Products for BitGlass. 
So, Rich, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Steve. I'm excited to be here. Cloud and mobile are uh, moving a lot of corporate data outside the firewall and beyond now the reach of traditional security, including malware protection. And what we're finding out is that as enterprises adopt cloud and BYOD, the uh, malware threats are following. And the bad actors who are doing this are getting increasingly sophisticated with their attacks. And this is leading to quite a drop in efficiency and efficacy for signature-based antivirus solutions. So, Rich, can you tell us a little bit about what you have seen working uh, with BitClass um, what are your observations, and what is the urgency here? Well, at BitGlass, our business is to uh, provide data protection for um, you know those those uh, environments that you just described, things like public cloud applications and, and mobile devices, and you know specifically we sell into into enterprises. And, and one of the big challenges for an enterprise uh, with with cloud and mobile is that unlike with things like managed devices or premises-based applications where the organization has complete control over the environment, when you start adopting public cloud apps and when you start allowing BYOD into your, uh, into your environment, uh, you know, the organization no longer has complete control over those environments, which means that things like malware scanning, which they may have been able to do in a, in a more controlled environment, become quite a bit more uh, difficult. And at the same time, uh, you know, kind of these new environments are really built for the facilitation of sharing and, and productivity. In other words, allowing data to be transmitted and transferred as quickly as possible across the organization and outside of the organization. Uh, and the challenge for that is that if I'm a bad guy, if I'm a malware author or, or somebody that, that's purchased some malware and I'm attempting to exploit it across an organization or just, you know, spray and pray, get it as many places as, as possible, that's exactly what I'm going to look, like, look for. I'm going to look for an environment where the organization doesn't have complete control and the ability to do things like malware scanning, and I'm going to be looking for something that, that makes it very easy to uh, facilitate the sharing and exchange of information. And, and I think that's what's made cloud apps and, and mobile devices so attractive these days to, uh, to the bad guys is that if, the per you know, if, I think, if I'm a bad guy and I'm thinking about this as a business, and I need to, uh, in order to have a profitable business, I need to get this malware on as many devices as possible. And there's a convenient app out there, like a file sharing app of, of, of some sort. And if I'm able to, uh, to get my malware onto one user's folder and then automatically that, that file um, syncs and propagates to thousands or tens of thousands of other devices with, with which that folder is shared, that's a very convenient mechanism, and, and this is the big problem for organizations. How do we allow all this, this sharing and productivity that cloud apps and mobile allow uh, without suffering uh, a slow death from, uh, from malware? You refer to your position in, in the industry as a CASB. It, makes, it sounds like it's just sort of the smaller organizations that may not have a dedicated IT staff. Um, would I be wrong in assuming that? I mean, is this something that uh, large organizations that have a dedicated in-house staff should also be considering working with a CASB? Yeah, absolutely. CASB, uh, which stands for Cloud Access Security Broker, you know, they, these tools provide a range of data protection technologies, um, primarily for public cloud apps. So we're most commonly deployed with, um, you know, apps like Microsoft's Office 365 or Box or, or Salesforce or Amazon Web Services, large kind of well-known uh, cloud-based applications. And, and the challenge is that whether you're a small organization or a large one, and by the way, we deal with, uh, you know, pretty much primarily with, with large organizations where um, customer size ranges from about 50 employees all the way up to, to north of 200,000 employees. 
And whether you're that, that 50 person organization or the 200,000 person organization, uh, you know, what's, what's challenging is that the uh, investments that you've made in security over the last maybe even few decades, things like firewalls or data leakage prevention tools or, uh, you know, user behavior analytics tools and the like, you know, none of these things, because they're situated on the premises, none of these things can get in the path of a traffic when, let's say, an employee connects from a BYOD personal device over a public Wi-Fi network to an app like Office 365. So our existing security tools don't apply. Uh, and at the same time, we still need to be responsible for protecting uh, corporate data in that type of environment. So that's why that's why a cloud access security broker is, is needed, regardless of the size of the organization. We allow a security organization to safely enable the public cloud apps that their business is uh, is more than likely demanding, whether it's for cost savings or increased productivity or business enablement or, or what have you, right? You know, you think about, take a big cloud app vendor like Microsoft, since they're probably the most prevalent in the enterprise these days with Office 365. You know, these, these, Microsoft has publicly stated that they are spending more than $1 billion per year on security for their public cloud services. That's a massive budget. It's a ton of security infrastructure and it's a ton of uh, security personnel. Um, and, and, but what they're focused on is protecting their infrastructure. You know, they patch vulnerabilities quickly. They, um, uh, they protect against denial of service attacks. They keep the service up and running and they keep, you know, they, they protect against wide scale breaches. Just because Microsoft is making that massive investment doesn't mean that the IT department and the security organization can wash their hands of, of security overall, right? There's still a lot of challenges related to things like, you know, suspicious activities by insiders, credential compromise, um, you know, data leakage, uh, downloads uh, to unmanaged devices, external sharing, whole bunch of things related to uh, user accounts and corporate data that still need to be controlled. Uh, and that's true whether you're in a regulated industry like financial services and healthcare or, or you know, any other industry that, that doesn't have to abide by specific regulations. Uh, and that, that's where uh, the role of the security team comes to play. They know their data. They know their users. They know the internal policies and controls that they've built up over the years with premises apps. Uh, and as they extend to the cloud, we, we provide a tool for them to do that via a you know, a, a security service delivered as uh, delivered by the cloud, uh, but ultimately it's, it's up to them to uh, manage and administer the tool and, and tune it to their needs, just like they would have, you know, say, to, say a data leakage prevention or malware detection platform on premises. So I don't, I don't see the the role of the security group going out the window. It's it's just shifting, uh, and they're being asked or tasked with um, taking on a new set of tools. The Rich Campagna is the SVP of products for BitGlass, and you can find out much more about his organization and what they do at bitglass.com, B-I-T-G-L-A-S-S.com. So, Rich, thank you very much for joining us today, and I uh, really look forward to um, seeing more from your organization in the future. Thank you, Steve. It was my pleasure. Next up, our roving reporter, Jeremy Daniel, with some views from an outsider's perspective. Thanks for plugging into the Cloud Weeks podcast. I'm Jeremy Daniel, and I'm on the outside looking in. So how does your day start? For many people, it involves waking up, reaching for their smartphones, and plugging into Twitter to see what at real Donald Trump is tweeting about. The In Case You Missed It feature has turned into a strange world of political strategy and education, which unfolds in fascinating, unexpected ways. 
But as you are no doubt aware, these conversations quickly evolve into ugly, abusive tirades in the space of just a few milliseconds. For years, Twitter has been accused of doing nothing about the vitriol and hate that has infected so much of its service. But that seems to finally be changing, and investors are thrilled. The stock price shot up over 2% on news that Twitter is introducing features that will hide abusive tweets, prevent banned users from simply creating new accounts under a different name, and ensure that search results remove tweets that contain potentially sensitive content and tweets from blocked and muted accounts. It's a positive step for the company, and it's affirming to see that reflected in its stock price. Of course, there are many people who believe that the tweeter-in-chief is someone who should be banned from using the service, but that's not going to happen. He's simply driving too much traffic and has elevated the company's relevance at a time when it felt like Twitter was sagging. No one's going to ban the goose while it's literally laying the golden egg. We saw many tweets about the summit between Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe and President Donald Trump. One of the things they spoke about was Japan's bullet train technology and how much potential it has in the United States. The focus of the deal would be on high-speed rail in the northeastern states, as well as renovations to subways and train cars. These sound like fantastic, worthwhile projects. I've been investigating the impact that big data and analytics is having on the, on the railway industry. It's been a fascinating insight into the positive potential of this major sector of the economy. Rail transport for freight and people relies on logistics and intense coordination, but has historically not generated the volume and quality of data that can be used to make informed decisions. That's all changing fast. There are more and more onboard computers on trains monitoring every part of the journey, then feeding data to sophisticated dispatch stations and using GPS as well as trackside pinpoints to control train speed, improve efficiency of fleet and workforce management, and even go so far as to monitor the quality of individual train wheels by using acoustic tech to listen to how the wheels sound. Add to that all the social media which is generated by passengers on trains about their experience, and we have the tools to create an incredible 21st century railway system. Big data, bullet train technology, and clean energy are coming together to potentially transform transport forever. And no doubt you'll hear all about what happens next in 140 characters as soon as you open your eyes. Thanks, Steve. Back to you. Thanks, Jeremy. In Bitcoin blockchain news, the price of Bitcoin continues to hover around the $1,200 US mark. It has been north of $1,000 since early February and is keeping steady on an overall upward trend that it has held for over a year now. Increasingly, companies, banks and governments continue to test Bitcoin and the blockchain validation engine and it is sneaking into normalcy on a daily basis. In Canada, the operator of the Toronto and Montreal stock exchanges has started making available a proxy prototype for stockholder voting using a blockchain platform that they built in cooperation with Accenture. In another fascinating development, three major organizations involved in managing the property rights of musicians, the American Society for Composers, Authors and Publishers, otherwise known as ASCAP, the Society of Authors, Composers and Publishers of Music, and PRS for Music, they together have banded together to create a blockchain solution to help cut down on piracy and to try and win back ownership of the money stream, much of which is being lost to digital downloads, especially illegal digital downloads. This is quite a profound development for an industry whose power players initially fought against the transparency of a digital ledger, but who now are realizing that it may be the better solution. So, that's it for our second episode. 
And here's the deal. We are looking for sponsors. CloudTweaks has been around for years, and our online portal, cloudtweaks.com, is well known as a source of breaking cloud industry news. We are now applying our own experience and our network of professionals to help other businesses grow and compete worldwide through the implementation of laser-sharp content strategies. We have a large following on Twitter and through our email newsletter, and we have the ear of all types of cloud and IT decision makers already. So wouldn't you like to get in front of these people? Since the podcast is reasonably new, this is only our second episode, our rates are very friendly, while our reach is already substantial. Sponsorship will help us spend more time seeking out quality interviews and breaking stories and employing more people to make a better podcast. Just go to cloudtweaks.com and click on the contact link if you're interested. But regardless, if you do like what you hear in this podcast, please consider subscribing at iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also drop us a line at the same contact page, cloudtweaks.com, where you'll also find all of the social media links to follow us in the way you like best. It's a fast-changing world out there, and above it all, there's the cloud. Come and join us. I'm Steve Prentice. Thanks for listening.